What a beautiful song that is. Pat, I know that that's going to be your walk-up song for our fantasy draft because we, can't, guys, we just, make an can't just spoil it. Some of them listen. I, look, look, it doesn't matter. It's going to be fucking hilarious. I will say this. I had to find it on Spotify. I didn't have to. I mean, I could have just dug it up on YouTube regardless, but I found it on Spotify. So it gets to go in the playlist of all the other janky songs that we have for our fantasy football entrances. I'm honestly concerned if mine was one of the more tame. Uh... <laughs> Yours is the most tame by oh, no. a mile so far. So oh, dear. yeah, for, for anybody that's confused, we do uh, like official entrances for only our first picks of each round of, of well our first round picks because that would be forever if we tried to make this whole theatrical entrance for every round they but take forever anyway first they do it does take for i mean andy and steve just take seven hours to make each of their picks so it is what it is but guys Welcome back to the podcast. Alongside Pat Gustafson, I am Brandon Carney. Look, if you guys are watching on YouTube and you prefer, you know, listening on audio platforms, we are on Spotify or Apple or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Links are on our channel for that. And if you are listening on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else after the fact, come hang with us on YouTube sometime. We're going to generally be live 730 Eastern um, going forward on Tuesdays. So come hang with us live if you want. And uh, yeah, we'll have some fun. Just search Off the Bench with Bench Warmer Brand on YouTube. That's my and, and, that's my plug for the day. And for those of you that prefer Austin Eckler to be here, so do we. Yeah, I see. I meant to tell you guys, uh, we're actually going to have Patrick Mahomes as a getting out. We're not yeah, do that. Uh, maybe in ten years when he's retired and I'm uh, also retired. Who knows? Ten years is a long time away, so I have no idea what to expect there. But I guess Pat, um, we might as well get into where's our where's our little thing here. Oh yeah, right, right. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. I mean, I got to use it while we have it, right? So everyone, here is our news and notes for the week. We were just talking off camera about how this once a week show leaves room for a lot of news to accumulate. Uh, We're going to lead with something that you may not expect us to lead with because there are some bigger stories, but... The Ravens lost 24 game preseason win streak comes to an end. The funniest streak of all time because it's one of those streaks that's it's it's an accident, right? Like they, they are not trying to win all of these no. preseason games. It, everyone's just trying to evaluate their players and stuff. And the Ravens just so happened to fall ass backwards into 24 straight preseason wins. But at the hands of Jake Fromm and Joey Sly last night, it all came to an end. And I'm just, you know, I, I had a good time. I was happy that it was the first preseason game that the fourth quarter has ever mattered in. Because like, you know, preseason can matter for evaluating players and seeing who's going to start and all that stuff, trying to win starting jobs. But this one there was actually almost a competitiveness to it like you're rooting for something so it felt gave us just a little taste of real football i had a black did you watch it live or did you just uh follow it Uh, i I didn't even i didn't even follow it like i was busy last night and i got home and i saw joey sly looking like he won the fucking super bowl (laughs) after uh kicking a 49 yarder to win a preseason game just in insane i mean think about it so what they they knocked the preseason down to three games last year so it's like six years. They haven't they hadn't lost a preseason game in like six years. Uh, it's actually eight years. 2015 was the last time they lost a preseason game because oh 20, 2020 uh, COVID season, the entire preseason was canceled. Well, that's and, right. And as for the last couple of years, it's been only three games per yeah, year. So it's been, you know, getting up to 24. It took eight years. I made a video today about how the last time they lost a preseason game, uh, Hotline Bling had just been released by Drake, and Lamar Jackson had still yet to play a single college down. He had not played his first college game yet. So That's... it's been a while. But it was a fun one to watch. I think it, it illustrates how thirsty we are for real football. But it did. It was the closest thing it felt to real football that I think you can really get to in the preseason because we were like, there was, there was something on the line, as small as it may be. Um, some bigger news here, some injury notes. 
So Jackson Smith and Jigba is undergoing wrist surgery. According to Curtis Crabtree from Fox 13 Seattle, Pete Carroll says that JSN has a slight fracture and they want to make sure they do things right. It's a three to four week issue and they're staying optimistic about his timeline. It puts week one very much in question. Um, I think this is kind of the first... Not the first injury. I mean, we, we've had guys, you know, Tim Patrick go down for the year and some other unfortunate, Russell Gage go down for the year. Unfortunate injuries like that. But this is definitely the most impactful fantasy injury that is, you know, has a risk of bleeding into week one. So JSN uh, potentially out for week one. We'll have to see and just and just follow it closely. But man, Tyler Lockett just will not die, will he? I, I'm try- I've been he trying to write this anyway. guy. I, was I know he, he was. I know gonna he wasn't anyway. going to anyway, but I was trying, I've been trying to write this guy off for years and I really thought that, you know, he still has his value this year, but I, I really still think that this will be the year that he takes a bit of a step back just in favor of JSN. But now, man, I, something in the universe is just pro Tyler Lockett. I don't know what it is. It does make me feel a little better about DK Metcalf, and maybe I'm overthinking something that may only go, you know, one week in, but it's uh, it's an unfortunate thing that has, has happened to maybe the most exciting rookie not named B. John Robinson for this upcoming year, offensively at least. But you got to think about it. They're, they are not going to play any games with this. If he needs to miss more yeah. time, he's going to miss more time. You're not going to put your your star rookie in there at the beginning of the year just to possibly get hurt again. They, I do not think they're going to put him out there until he's ready. And, you know, I'd say maybe it might even be one game, one or two games, and I'd be a little surprised if he played uh, if he played week one. Yeah, I, I, was, I will say this. If anything, this may bump his ADP down to a point where you could actually feel somewhat comfortable taking him. I mean, his draft position has been crazy for a guy who is – uh, you know, going to be the third target on this team. I, I don't, I don't know as much as I want him to kind of overtake Tyler Lockett's role. Um, how much that's really going to materialize this year? So this is a guy that you, if you're drafting, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you're banking on the talent. You're banking on Geno Smith staying good, and you know that's fine. Uh, but also, he is a guy who's he's in a little bit of a crowded receiver room. Maybe this will dip his ADP down just a bit. You know, round or two, people get nervous, and you can get this super talented guy and actually wait things out appropriately without having him, you know, be your starting flex guy for for I don't think he should have been regardless. I've yeah, I've been pretty sure down, not out that's on him, fair. but I've been I have not been nearly as bullish on JSN as a lot of people. So um I wasn't planning on drafting him anyway and now I am definitely not drafting him. See, I wasn't planning on drafting, but now I'm like, I'll wait and see. Like, if he falls oh, yeah, far I mean, enough, if, it if falls, there's so sure, much uncertainty. Maybe, but... Yeah. No, that ADP was definitely a little too rich for me as well. Uh, Terry McTurfto. So Terry McLaurin, one of the victims of this uh, preseason victory, kept him in a little bit longer than I think most people would have expected, and he came out of it with a toe injury. So Terry McLaurin is not expected to be a, a serious injury, optimistic that he'll be ready for week one, uh, but just one of those things, you know, preseason injury that you don't want to see and kind of reminds you to maybe not play play somebody that long when he's your best offensive player in the preseason um so you know they beat the ravens but at what cost so keep an eye on the terry mclaurin injury that's all we have for now is that you know there's optimism he'll be ready for week one certainly more optimism it sounds like than jsn at this moment in time um but look either way Jahan dotson to the moon he looked good the commanders overall look pretty good um so that's that's just kind of my takeaway there is Jahan dotson that's that's my boy and maybe you know maybe we'll talk about him a little no we're not gonna we have our my guys segment later that, that's a tease i considered putting Jahan dotson as one of my my guys um we're gonna I go one Jahan player dotson. 
Yeah, we're, I, I thought you might. Um, so we'll, we'll get to who you ended up picking over him a little bit later. But yeah, we picked one player from each position that we are very, we'll just say very bullish on for fantasy. Um, doesn't necessarily matter where they're being drafted. It's just guys that I guess you could describe it as we firmly think they'll outdo their current ADP. Um, but either, or it's just somebody that we're excited for, even if we think they'll meet the ADP, whatever you want to call it. But guys that we are very excited for. So stay tuned. You guys are, are going to love our segment on Chase McLaughlin later. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he just won the starting job. I mean, it's going to be kickers are people too. McLaughlin. Not really. Nah, only Justin Tucker's a person, but that's that's about all I got. Uh, but yeah, my guy segment. I mean, look, every fantasy podcast on earth seems to be doing this segment. Uh, we're gonna actually, it's gonna be Brands Boys and Pat's People, just so we can have. A I change it to Pat's Sounds Pals, awful. actually. Oh, Pat's Pals. Oh, even better. I love it. I didn't. I didn't read the show sheet because I'm illiterate. Okay, Jonathan Taylor. Let's get to the really big news here. The um, big news today. Yeah, th- this is certainly the big one. Just you know, I had to get the injury notes out of the way, and of course, the the big Ravens news. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor has been permitted to seek a trade. Uh, another sort of step in this saga that has plagued the last couple of weeks of, of the preseason and, and training camp. Um, it looks like Jim Irsay is a dirty liar. He said, we're not going to trade Jonathan Taylor. Not now, not in October. And I made a joke that, well, he said not now in July. Um, it is August. So I guess this is one of the months that technically he, 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 and he also out. gave gave himself September as well. He, he's really got That's a lot true. of room to work with. That is that is true. So JT permitted to seek a trade. Um, look, the overarching, uh, I guess, vibe of this is it's probably going to be hard for him to find a trade partner. Uh, running backs, as we know, are not valued very well right now. And the great irony that everybody's also pointing out is that the Colts don't want to pay Jonathan Taylor as if he is an elite player, but they want trade compensation that would reflect him being an elite player. You can't really have it both ways. So uh, the request or, or the ask right now is a first round pick or something equivalent. So maybe maybe two seconds or something like that. I can tell you guys right now, the Colts will not be receiving a first round pick for Jonathan Taylor. Because even no the way. teams that are, even the teams that we're going to talk about that are the most running back needy, they don't need to do something. They don't need Jonathan Taylor. Like they were, they were planning on going into the year with what they had. So they're going to be perfectly content. So the Colts have no leverage in this situation with JT right. and with other teams. Right. And, you know, not to compare Dalvin Cook, who's on the tail end of his career, to a guy like Jonathan Taylor, but the lack of interest and the lack of movement in the market for a guy like Dalvin Cook, I think, is reflective of what how teams are going to approach Jonathan Taylor as well, right? Because while Dalvin Cook is, you know, maybe half of what JT is at this point in his career— and JT's fully healthy, of course, uh, he also wasn't going to cost significant draft capital for you to bring him in. Jonathan yeah. Taylor's going to cost significant draft capital and, in theory, a contract extension because the team, any team that's going to give up that sort of capital is going to want him around for more than this year. This is not going to be a, a one-year thing. That's kind of the crux of Taylor's issue to begin with. He wants to be uh, you know, locked down and get some money for his, uh, his production, and I think that's fair. So, Pat, the, I wrote down about five teams here um, that I think could be at least, you know, somewhat reasonable fits. But again, I don't know that a trade gets done. The one team I will offer up is the team I offered up the last time we had this conversation, and it's the Chicago Bears. I think they make the most sense from a timeline and from a salary cap and from a draft pick perspective. Um, they have, you know, an extra second rounder kicking around. Like I said, they have two firsts as well for next year, but I don't think that's, again, I don't think the Colts are getting a first for JT. They have an extra second rounder kicking around for next year. Maybe they offer that up. Um, but you look at just their timeline, assuming Justin Fields is the guy, assuming the connection with him and DJ Moore pans out to something um, that they you know, are, are, are hoping that it pans out to be. 
this is a team that their championship championship quote unquote you know theoretical window a couple years from now would line up with the prime of JT's career what they're aiming for would line up with JT's prime so maybe they go get a guy like JT look you and I have talked about Khalil Herbert and how we do like him and how his, his usage in the preseason makes us optimistic for him from a fantasy perspective but let's face it this is a backfield that could absolutely use a guy like Jonathan Taylor Khalil Herbert is not a mitigating factor for acquiring a guy like JT so I offer them up as sort of the the most logical place from just draft capital, timeline, salary cap, um, and, and that's kind of what I've got. But the other teams I put here just for note, Dolphins, Eagles, Bills, and Chiefs. Pat, do any of those stand out to you as as good of or better or close to as good fits as the Bears? Well, I, I think they're all similar in the sense that just like Khalil Herbert, while they're crowded backfields, any of these backfields would step aside for Jonathan Taylor. Like, Jonathan Taylor's value would only go up in any of these situations. I don't care who's in that backfield. They are going to clear the way for Jonathan Taylor. It's not going to be like we were worried about Dalvin Cook in the sense like, oh, he's just going to go muddy something up because he's not going to get a ton of carries regardless. But Jonathan Taylor is going to be the alpha almost anywhere he goes, especially any of these five teams. I really like Kansas City in this situation Mm -hmm. here. Um, Unfortunately. Oh, I mean, that would just be unfair, but, you know, they've just gone to show that they're kind of running back has kind of been an afterthought for them in terms of, like, actually going out. And, I mean, they, they tried. They tried. They took CEH in the first round, and he is um bad. And I saw that he was a first-round pick, so that's fair compensation. He's equal to a first-round pick, so why don't they just ship Look, him they, they straight up for JT? They the picked Bill him O'Brien over JT. Playbook. They picked him over JT, so I mean, yeah. uh, maybe they'll be like. Well, He's I, I think just from that perspective, and like obviously we love Isaiah Pacheco, what he did last year, especially in the playoffs. But you can easily, you know, that is someone that can easily be brushed aside for a guy like Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and my thing with like you bring up Pacheco, I mean, if that trade were to materialize, I feel like Pacheco probably just goes the other way. I mean, you trade yeah. Pacheco, who's in the second year of a deal, and although we don't know exactly what he can be, you know, he's a, he's a mid round pick. Was he? Wait, was he late round? I believe he's a six round pick. Maybe I couldn't. He's... I couldn't remember for some reason. I had it in my head that he was very, very late. late. Definitely the last two rounds. Um, let me just look it up really quick. Got his freaking Wikipedia. Uh, rounds. Oh wow, pick two fifty one. Round seven. Okay, I knew it was late. I couldn't remember exactly how late. So yeah, Pacheco's a guy in the second year of his career that you know could easily go the other way. I don't think that he's a guy that needs to be on a depth chart behind Jonathan Taylor if it came to it. That just seems like you know, like I'm sure the Chiefs would be thrilled about it, but I don't think that's fair to Pacheco to do that. I think they would probably send him the other way, and it would make the draft compensation maybe. Not as much because the Colts would be like, cool, we're getting a pretty quality running back here who runs like he hates the ground, as a, one of a famous comment I saw just describes him perfectly. I love watching him play. But yeah, I, look, the Chiefs would make sense um, just from a, you know, let's take this over the top point of view. Um, but I, I don't know. They just, they operate so well without a star running back that it's like, why? Then you've got the Eagles. The Eagles also have some extra draft picks here over the next couple of years. And you know, we talked last week about how they don't have a ton invested in this backfield from either draft capital or money. And uh, it'd be very funny if the answer to, oh, God, is it Gainwell? Is it Swift? Is it Penny? Imagine the answer is just Jonathan. Jonathan. I mean, <laughs> that'd be fantastic. Uh, so I think that's a possibility. I think Eagles and Bears are, you know, sort of at my top. I've seen the Dolphins floated quite a bit. Uh, again, I don't know. I just... They don't seem to care at either, like about getting a, an extra running back here. Um, it it would probably be a good idea with with Raheem Mostert's injury history and you know Jeff Wilson not being the youngest guy either. Um, Devon Achain having a shoulder injury, it would be a fit. But I just don't see them as quite as good of a fit as a team like the Bears or the Eagles, and just as logistical, logical, whatever of a, of a trade partner. So. 
ultimately, I kind of fall on the side of everybody else that uh, I don't really think a trade gets done. Um, it seems like this is going to be just Jonathan Taylor ends up coming back to the Colts and grinding this year out. I'll say this, if he does get traded, Pat, unless I hear otherwise, I am immediately no longer worried about this stupid ankle because we have still <laughs> not heard any reason why his ankle should be bothered, bothering him. Like, yeah, we talked about it a couple of shows ago. They, the Colts just kind of expect us to see ankle and be like, well, yeah, he hurt it last year. That's still why he's out. No, <laughs> the surgery he got only had a couple week timetable and they never reported a setback or anything like that. And if he's just having chronic soreness, I mean, he's got to be out of the li- The ankle is, My man's I believe, the sorest guy in the I, world. I believe the ankle is a complete smokescreen. And I will say also this about Jonathan Taylor. Um, if he does get traded, this is maybe the biggest fantasy football. What's the word I'm looking for here? Not league winner, but I guess... You know, biggest range of outcomes because this guy, I'm assuming the ankle will be fine if he goes somewhere, and then you immediately have the one of the best talent running backs in the NFL on a team where he's happy and might get extended. And, you know, if you're getting this guy, his ADP right now is in the late second because of all the uncertainty. Um, this is like this is like a fantasy grenade that could get dropped on a team and just blow them into first could, place all could, year. Could you imagine he goes to Philadelphia, the best rushing offense in the league? I mean, granted, Jalen Hurts yeah. is there, but still, I don't care. No, don't it care. doesn't matter. Miles Sanders had what, like a – a shit ton of rushing yards last year. I'm trying to remember what it actually was. Uh, Miles Sanders had under, J- despite the rushing quarterback, Jalen Hurts, yeah, 1,269 rushing yards. Nice. And uh, not a lot of receiving yards, but he didn't need it. So, yeah, look, having a running quarterback does not preclude you from having a ton of rushing yards, especially when you are an elite talent like Jonathan Taylor is and a presumably, I believe, elite uh, healthy talent when, you know, it's all said and done. So now my, now, my question here for you is, I'm sure we'll ask it again next week as we come up to it, where are you taking Jonathan Taylor? <sighs> Pat, if I'm drafting today, um, I don't think I am. I... I I think I might I might be tempted in the third. I'll say that. I think I'd be tempted in the third. I think in fantasy you are are really putting yourself in a tough spot if you don't nail your first two picks with like guaranteed contributors. Um, whether it's a shoot for the moon type of contributor or a guy that you just know is going to be a solid floor and, and target monster, you need to get points from those first two picks. Um, third rounder, I might start to think about it because then if he does come back and get traded and then you have, you know, two or maybe three guys on your team who are first round caliber players, uh, then you, you have a big advantage. And I could, I guess I could stomach, you know, if what's worst case scenario, right? I mean, he, I, again, I'm assuming he's healthy. Worst case scenario is he goes back to the Colts and we just have these kind of little, you know, things popping up throughout the year, whether he's going to sit out and miss a game here and there. Um, but I don't think there's a world where he doesn't play any games this season because that's not in his best interest to do no. so. Um, so worst case scenario is he's just, you know, kind of 60, 70% of himself and misses some games. But even that, at least you just, you start him when he plays and you get him in the third round with as good as he is i think that's worth it in the third i could deal with yeah it. I, I, th- I think i i think i agree because you you are getting crazy upside in the third round there you know you're getting yeah. a guy who would have been a first round pick had all these shenanigans not happened and that that outcome could still happen you know he could still be a top five running back and you get him in the third round that's insane value but because yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm picking twelve in our draft, and I'm I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, he's going to be there, and he's going to be staring me oh, right yeah. in the face. He's 100 percent going to be there. Is and 12, 13 turn. Yeah. I don't think I can do it. I just I just don't no. think I can do it. 
I mean, that's not where his, his ADP even is anymore. Like, you're not in the minority for passing up yeah, JT no. at, at pick 12 and 13. Like, you start, again, I think his ADP on, or his ranking on ESPN now is around, like, pick 20. Um, so Jeez. you are getting into the very end of the second round. And I think inevitably, um, you're still going to get some people who are hesitant even at that spot. So I think he probably will fall into the early third a lot. And, and that is where people will be mostly comfortable with taking him. Uh, but I think... I just a hunch, Pat. I think JT is going to be one of those guys that at the end of the year, it's like the percentage of of fantasy championship teams and the players that win the most. It's going to be very high for Jonathan Taylor. That's just a hunch. It could go to absolute shit. If guys are getting him in the late second, early third round, and you know this all kind of materializes, and he's in a reasonable situation, whether it's in Indianapolis or somewhere else, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people uh, hitting themselves for not um, for not getting him when they might have had two or three shots at it. Yeah, it's it's Pandora's Jonathan Taylor. He is both the best and worst fantasy pick you can make, and you won't know until you pick him. So, uh, again, for us, you know, for those Labor Day weekend and around there drafters, we'll probably have a little more clarity. But, Pat, I feel like I've been coming on this pod and saying that every week for the last several weeks, and uh, we don't have much more. I it's mean, getting worse, able, honestly. He's, it's he's getting allowed, worse. He's allowed to seek a trade. So, I, again, I guess that is a development. But uh, assuming if he doesn't find one, you know, that's not clarity. So we'll see what ends up happening with Jonathan Taylor um, and whether he finds a new home or not and whether he ends up being worth a fantasy pick. But he could be very well a league winner or an absolute rock bottom pick in fantasy. Only time will tell. Pat, we got a couple of quarterbacks who have been named starters since the last time we were on this show. Sam Howell and Baker Mayfield, the future QB1 and QB2 overall in fantasy foot. No. Um, Sam Howell, unironically, is a guy that I like. So I want to talk about the fantasy outlook for, you know, not only the quarterbacks, but the offenses surrounding them. Um, with Sam Howell, I view him as, you know, a high upside streamer quarterback and honestly a guy that I could see you starting a lot throughout the year. Like, I would not be surprised to see Sam Howell finish as a QB1 in 12-team leagues, you know, as the QB 10, 11, oh, wow. 12. Um, I, think that, I think the talent's there. Look, that is, that, that's his ceiling play, right? Like, he's not going to be a guy that's competing for top five QB status. But I think this commander's offense under Eric Bieniemy, with no more Dan Snyder kind of hanging over this franchise like a rain cloud, um, so much talent around Howell. He has rushing upside. And again, he looked good in that preseason game against the Ravens. Yes, it's preseason, I know, but it's still, it's what you want to see if you're going to see anything from Sam Howell in these early stages. Um, so I, I like Howell, especially, you know, if you are a guy who's waiting on quarterback, he plays the Arizona Cardinals week one. I really don't think he's going to let you down week one at least, yeah. and then you can you can go from there. Um, so if you want to play the QB streaming thing, he's a guy that I could see pairing with Anthony Richardson, um, you know, one of those riskier quarterbacks. And then Baker Mayfield, um, I personally, I mean, I have to say personally as if this is a hot take, he's not going to have any fantasy value himself unless it's in <laughs> I know, a really breaking news here. He's not going to have fantasy value himself unless you are really down bad and he's against like the Rams whose defense is a bunch of UPS drivers. But... I do think this this makes me a little more optimistic for two players on the Buccaneers, Mike Evans and Rashad White. Uh, Mike Evans is a guy who was actually really good in the first half of last year, if you look back at his games, and then just tailed off in the second half. For us non-PPR guys, he was throwing out you know five points, four points, five basically for the entire second half of the year. And he was basically unusable. Unusable until that very last week where most people probably had him on their benches. I believe he went off for like 210 yards and three touchdowns. So if you had him in, congrats to you. Um, But Mike Evans is a guy, look, Baker Mayfield is a very willing and actually accurate downfield passer. He may not do much else very well, but he can throw the ball deep and the Bucs are probably going to be losing quite a bit because this offense overall will probably not be super great. And then Rashad White, Baker Mayfield is just one of the more willing and, uh, you know, consistent 
passers to the running back. Running backs, he, he likes to do a little check down, a little dump off. So Rashad White, he excels there, um, and I think that could help him a little bit. But Pat, how do you view uh, each of these quarterback situations now that we have officially named starters? I mean, in Tampa, a lot of the talk this whole offseason has been people being more bullish on Chris Godwin just because of the possibility that Baker Mayfield's under center. You know, where I'm not going to, I'm trying not to compare Baker Mayfield to Tom Brady in any way here, but you know, they both yeah, like their he's way better. Receivers. He's way better. Mm, well, yeah, obviously, State Farm. What was he, State Farm Progressive? What the fuck was uh, progressive, he? Progressive, progressive. At home with Baker Those commercials Mayfield. were funny. That guy, that guy sucks, but I mean, those commercials were funny. <clears throat> but, um, he likes throwing to the slot receiver, and Chris Godwin is a great because he's not your prototypical slot guy. Like he's a really good athlete. Like he's a guy who could probably stick it on the outside. But I, I liked it even before that. Just kind of assuming it was going to be Baker, I was always in on Godwin. Evans, I kind of feel the same because, like I said, I've kind of been going this whole offseason assuming it was going to be Baker over Kyle Trask. If if you're drafting him outside of your starting lineup, then sure, then sure. But I'm not drafting Mike Evans is someone who I'm expecting to be in my lineup at any given time during the season. I, I just don't love that. And Rashad White is kind of just that prototypical dead zone running back where it's like, yeah, if you punt the position, he's definitely got his upside. Horribly inefficient last year. Um, he's never really had a huge workload before and is, is a very good pass catcher. And who's behind him? Like Sean Tucker, is it behind him? So like, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing crazy. There's no Leonard Fournette there that's going to eat a significant amount of carries from him, at least in theory. So, again, kind of kind of stand the same on White. Like, it's more so just, did you punt running back? You know, are you relying on this dead zone? If you're relying on this dead zone, then he's not the worst guy to have. Yeah, I think uh, you, you mentioned Sean Tucker there. I mean, yes, there's not an obvious player to take carries away, but if I draft Rashad White, sorry for the sirens in the background, uh, I am not leaving my draft without Sean Tucker. It seems like we have uh, an undrafted free agent running back pop up every single year who ends up being fantasy relevant. I've talked about Rashad White in this vein before where we don't exactly know how good he is outside of being a pretty good pass catching back. Um, you know, we just haven't really seen it. He was pretty inefficient last year, even though the entire run game was inefficient. So we're kind of in a wait and see on Rashad White and how good he is. Sean Tucker is a guy who really only went undrafted out of Syracuse because of injury concerns that he has pretty much brushed aside here in the preseason. So I think Sean Tucker is a is a good back and he's a guy you can get for free in your drafts. And I would not be surprised at all if we're talking about Sean Tucker as a, you know, sort of a flex value guy a couple weeks or a month into the season. So if you draft Rashad White, draft Sean Tucker, because one of them will be, you know, a consistent, somewhat consistent fantasy contributor throughout the year. Um, Even though you, you know, it should be Rashad off the bat. That's what the rankings say. And that's what all the projections say. But I'm just saying, don't, don't rule out Sean Tucker. That, that's all I don't know if you hear this motherfucker on a motorcycle or so, driving by on something. Like th- this dude, this dude's gotta have the tiniest cock I've ever I, I, I can imagine <laughs> in my life. Like this dude, like sh- I could still hear him. He's like had to, he's gotta I, be like I a mile down the street, and I can still hear him. I, I don't hear him. I don't know if the viewers heard him. I was I muted at one point because it was okay. so like when he was right in front of my house, I heard him coming. I just I'm like Jesus God. Yeah, we got sirens. We got. We got motorcyclists. What, what's next? Guys not wearing any pants? Oh, uh-oh. I, um, oh, God, oh, but yeah, and, and in terms of Washington, I kind of I'm, – I'm not quite as in on Sam Howell as you are. Like, is he a streamer? Sure. Mm-hmm. But, again, I think I think it really helps that offense. Um, I love Jahan Dotson. Even with Terry McLaurin out there, Jahan Dotson looked fantastic at the end of the year last year. Yeah. And if, if Terry is out for any amount of time, oh, boy, like – yeah, I really, I really like Dotson, especially considering I'm not worried about Curtis Samuel. I'm not worried about Deami Brown. I'm not worried about Logan Thomas no, or any other no. tight end. 
I mean, Anthony Gib- Anthony Gibson, Antonio Gibson will <laughs> catch the, his go. brother Anthony. Antonio Gibson, I'm sure, will catch the ball a little bit, but I'm not that concerned there. I mean, we're looking at a start to the year possibility where Dotson is the number one target there, and even if Terry comes back, he's the number two at worst. But I, I do think Howell will make this a little more dynamic. We, I mean, we've seen what Jacoby Brissett can do. The guy is probably mm-hmm. one of the better backups in the NFL. He's oh, yeah. very steady as he goes, but... It's nothing that's going to blow your socks off. I think Howell does have that potential. Yeah, I just think Howell is a pretty well-rounded guy. And uh, I don't know. I think the Commanders are just a team that I'm relatively optimistic for. They're a team that's had a good amount of talent on their defense for a few years, um, just suffered through injuries. And they're in a tough division. So, I mean, I'm not going to go crazy and project a a wild card appearance for them, even though the playoffs have expanded to seven teams over the last couple of years. But I I do think they'll be a competitive team. And I think Sam Howell is going to show people that he is – he belongs in this league. I'll say that much. I, the commanders may have finally found something that doesn't make them have to start seven different quarterbacks in a league. That that in a, in a season. That's all I'm going to say. And the um, thing is, they, they have to be good, too, like. to be competitive in that division. As much as we like to shit on the Cowboys, as, as fun as it is right. to shit on the Cowboys and the Giants, they're both going to be solid. And then the Eagles, that's going to be a really, really competitive division. And they're going to have to they're really going to have to play well to hang in there. Absolutely. A um, couple other injury notes here. So Devon A. Chain, a guy I talked up, he is week to week with a shoulder injury. I mentioned it toward the top of the show. He suffered it versus the Texans. Uh, Pat, I don't think I could have possibly 180 anymore on a player since our last show. But look, I still love the talent on the guy, but we cannot have injury issues at this point. He has been operating as essentially the fifth back in these preseason games. Exactly. Which that's, that's not a surprise. Um you know, you can come back from that, but now you're asking him to not only come back from that, but, you know, overcome these injuries. It's a guy that I would not be surprised if he is fantasy relevant around week eight, nine, whatever it is when he's healthy and, and one of these guys is, you know, Wilson or Mostert or both are hurt. Uh, but for now, he's got injury issues of his own and he's just not there's there's better ways to spend late round picks as much as I hate to say it um, and a, a player of a similar caliber to Devon A. Chain Cooper Cup is returning to practice this week. Come on, um, man. <laughs> so Cooper Cup seems to be like he's uh, going to be all good to go for the start of the season. Just you know keep monitoring that. But this is a guy that I think you should have really no issue selecting in the first round of your fantasy draft if you want to take a receiver and you know Jefferson and Chase are, are both gone because after that I think I think it's Cooper Cup's time. I know there's Tyree Kill people out there. I am not one of them. I'd prefer Cooper Cup, but that's that's where I'm at with that. Um, Cooper Cup looking on track to start the season. Pat, we got some more preseason takeaways. Um, as I do, I want to shout out to PFF Nate Janky on Twitter. He is a guy that just keeps track of all these you know guys who are playing and and snaps and who's taking the high-value snaps and everything you need to know from the preseason, basically. I highly recommend you read his stuff. Um, if you don't have the PFF subscription, well, I'm not going to tell you to buy it because they're not sponsoring us, but I got it, and I like reading his stuff at least, so I can say that. Um, first, first, major, first, <laughs> right, first major preseason takeaway, and this is not something I needed anybody to tell me through diagrams or stats. Uh Darren Waller is is him. He's that guy, apparently. He went absolutely nuts. We heard all throughout camp that Daniel Jones loves the guy. He can't stop throwing to him. I turned on that game, like, jokingly expecting to see Jones throw to him every time. And then he threw to him every fucking time. Like, the first have, like, three plays. Four targets on eight routes run or something? That's dude, insane. The first three plays were all Darren Waller targets. He, I think he caught all of them. One of them may have may have come, out, uh, come loose at the end. But either way, peppered with targets and it just it was it's good to see a visual representation of all of the hype 
from camp because you don't you don't always know what to believe obviously and you don't want to take camp too seriously but when it confirms something that you've already been hearing that's a little different I feel like and so it seems like Darren Wall is going to be the guy in this offense and he looked good like this isn't a case of where like it's just going to be a volume thing like we've heard with like guys maybe like James Conner you know because if you're getting peppered with targets and you stink like okay like you've got a decent floor but he looked good like he, he was a yeah. problem in terms of matchups. Like these were balls getting thrown slants in the middle of the field where he was just beating whoever they put on him. And you know I've been a champion against Darren Waller this year. He's been one of my I believe he was my second pick in the bus draft. He he was up there for me, and I'm mm-hmm. very willing to take the L. Uh, you know I, I'm not gonna yet, but I mean all all, all signs point to that right now. Especially since we've seen a little bit of clarity in terms of like who's going to be the Giants' starting receivers, it seems like it's Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, and Paris Campbell seem to be their three guys, and neither of them scare me very much in terms of Darren Waller. Like, there is a lot of mouths to feed, but I don't think any of those guys are going to emerge as the alpha. If anyone's going to emerge as the alpha in this offense, it is Darren Waller, and I would be very, very happy to be wrong about what I've said all off season for him to play well because I absolutely love the guy. Um, and I, I wish him the best, but yeah, it's, um, this, this could be the, the first of many very bad takes that I, uh, <laughs> that I, that I spew on this show here. Uh, but the, I, the season hasn't even started. I could be, a, I could be a genius and this just could be an anomaly, but it's, it's not looking great for me. I think you're a genius, but yeah, Pat, like Darren Waller is just a guy on this offense that, you know, is he's going to get so many high value looks and I'll move on from Waller for now because he's going to come back up here in a few minutes. That's a little spoiler alert for you guys. Uh, we'll move on to a tight end that uh, we all know and love Kyle Pitts. Uh, Pat, he's doing the thing. He's doing the thing I warned everybody about. And I'm at a point where look, all right, let me explain first what the thing is before I get too much in my own head. Kyle Pitts only had 50% route participation when on the field. And then he came off the field a shit ton. So, you know, several personnel groupings. In 11 personnel, he only played 33% of the snaps. In 12 personnel, he played 100% of the snaps, so two tight end sets. 21 personnel, 0% of the snaps. So basically, any time that there was only one tight end out there on the field, odds were it wasn't Kyle Pitts. Now, could this just be a preseason rotation kind of thing? Absolutely. Am I going to assume that's all this is after everything I saw last season? No, this is continuing the trend of Arthur Smith just constantly rotating tight ends in and out. And Kyle Pitts, a guy who is the most talented pass catcher on this team, just being off the field more than he should be. And we know that this is going to be a team with a major identity of running the ball this year. And Kyle Pitts blocking, I don't think he's necessarily bad at block, but that's not what he's there for. So they bring you know him out for guys like Michael Pruitt and Jonu Smith. And that's what happened in the preseason. Arthur Smith all the legends. Talk, I know, dude, all the talk of, you know, Kyle Pitts is tight end seven and he's there because of the talent and the talent should keep his floor as tight end seven. I don't understand it because I don't want to sound bitter, but it does feel like unless you owned Pitts last year, you can't fully conceptualize how low his floor is. It was like you just kind of watch from a distance and now you can write it off after last season if you didn't own him. But I am te- I am telling you right now, that motherfucker over there is ass. Sorry for the plain lady impression. That lady had a weird apology on Twitter. But no, Kyle Pitts would. Last year, (laughs) Kyle Pitt? Never mind. Kyle Pitts last year, oh God, he was tight end 22 in points per game. 
Kyle Pitts was tight end 22 in points per game. That's, That's the floor. That's I don't horrible. know how to explain. I don't know how to explain that any further. Like people act like his floor is because of his talent is like tight end eight or nine, like a little bit below where he's ranked right now. It's tight end twenty two. Like he might the floor not be is on hell. The field very often. The floor is that he's useless, and you are drafting him with. I know it's much lower than it was last year, but you're still drafting him with your what sixth round pick, seventh round pick, one of those. Like it's not a good bet in my opinion, at all. And the preseason usage is already showing it. So I'm, again, I'm so out of Kyle Pitts. They took this guy with the fourth overall pick. You don't take a tight end that early in general. Like, how much do you have to be in love with a guy to take him with a fourth overall pick and then just to not use him? Like, I get that Arthur Smith loves to run the ball. That's okay. There are tons of teams that run the ball, and they still pass. They still have fantasy-relevant pass catchers. This guy's on the field 50% of the time with the first team. And it's not like they have some other, you know, up-and-coming tight end. These are old geezers like Jonu Smith and Michael Pruitt. Like, it just just blows my mind. Again, I I haven't been as strongly out as you have. I just really haven't even considered him. Yeah. I mean, at the ADP, like, the only way I would even take him is if I'm looking at it where 11 other guys in my league have taken tight ends and he's somehow still sitting there. I'd consider snagging him and someone else. But yeah. you just, you cannot take him at that ADP. And everyone's going to be like, oh, Brian, it's going to be so funny when you're finally wrong. And it's like, maybe no, you will. Right. But think about it. I, like, I would rather be wrong about this. I would rather play yeah, it safe exactly. and not take him. And be like, oh, man, he finally went off and I was wrong. Rather than say, oh, this is the year, and take him as tight end six or seven, and then just feel like a fucking idiot with egg on your face for the third year in a row. I mean, granted, he was pretty good the first year, just didn't have the touchdowns, but for really the second year in a row now, to say like, oh yeah, this is his breakout, and then for it not to be, and to use reasonable capital on that, no way, you you can't do that, I can't do that. No, and again, to to draft a guy who I've talked about before, his situation has not changed that much from last year. Like, if you draft this guy and the same exact thing happens, you are going to feel like the dumbest motherfucker alive. Like, you're going to be like, I should have seen this coming. Instead, you're blinded by the ceiling of of what a great talent he is and that I still believe he is. None of this is ever personal against Kyle Pitts. I don't think he's a bad player. Uh, But, yeah, I just don't understand the drafting. The only thing I can say in defense of the Falcons, Pat, and taking him at the number four pick and then not using him enough— they didn't. They couldn't see the future of what their quarterback position looked like. They drafted him when they had Matt Ryan. Obviously, we knew his career was coming to an end to to an extent. He wasn't going to be there much longer than one year, if if at all. But I don't think they quite knew that their quarterback situation was going to be this bleak the following two years either. I don't think they expected to end up stuck with Marcus Mariota, who was the wor- maybe the worst passer in football last year, only to be followed up by Desmond Ritter, who we don't know if he's going to be any better either. He we know the better. Falcons. Yeah, we, we know the Falcons he's pursued we know the Falcons pursued Deshaun Watson at one point, and I think if they had Deshaun Watson, this would probably be a much different story about Absolutely. Kyle Pitts. Um, but they don't, and you know, pursuing Deshaun Watson is kind of what bullied Matt Ryan out of the building, and now they have Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter has looked a little bit better. We'll see if it translates to anything for Pitts, but I still just don't think it's a good bet because, again, even if he's 
a little bit better than Mari- than Mariota. Um, it doesn't necessarily translate to good fantasy production. Uh, Pat, another preseason takeaway here at the running back position, Damian Pierce. Now, this is a guy that I've been mostly out on up to this point. Um, and not that this changes everything. It's kind of what happened here also led me to research a little more about Damian Pierce in the situation. But this was a good sign. Damian Pierce played every snap of the Texans' first two drive. Singletary came on for the third uh, third drive, and as you noted here, Pierce also ran several routes. At it. He wasn't really noted as a pass catcher last year, um, but Damian Pierce, you know, I was kind of out on him because of a suspect O-line. Well, take a second look. That O-line's actually not all that bad and could be pretty decently, you know, overperforming this year. Um, Damian Pierce, I think, is just your prototypical fourth-round RB2 target, and I think he's awesome in that role, but... Yeah, this was great to see for anybody that was worried about Devin Singletary and what his role might be. It seems like he's just a firm backup and will take, of course, going to take yeah. snaps and take a drive or two here and there. But it seems like Pierce, I, you don't have to be as worried about his workload as maybe we once thought. Yeah, I, you know, it was the, a little bit of Devin Singletary, but it was also just the fact of his, you know, that he commands the volume last year. Every you, you go on any fantasy site and all it talks about is he needed to have literally like 20 touches basically to do something. I think I think the number was yeah. like I feel like the number was like 12 touches or more, something like that. But it was drastic. It was drastic. It I think I know how to find it. Um, yeah, the workload was definitely the concern with him and uh if And then obviously also 12, the fact that the Texans are probably still not going to be very good. And, you know, they're going to be losing a right. lot. He may not they, they may not have the game script to Get that kind of get the touches he needs to produce, but you know maybe he'll improve on that. You know maybe he'll catch the ball more. You know that'll be better touches and that could help in garbage time. But I'm still kind of hesitant for those reasons. But I mean again, same thing with Waller. He's showing us that like, hey, maybe we're maybe we're off here. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're not onto something here. Yeah, here is the stat you were referring to. Damian Pierce averaged just 8.7 fantasy points when he saw under 20 touches. That so would have made him the RB. That would have made him the RB forty in points per game. Um, look, a lot of that is also situational. I mean, or sorry, could be circumstantial and just coincidence of you know those games he didn't break off anything big or whatever. I'm not. I don't put crazy amount of stock in that. But obviously, look, more volume is better. I don't think I'm, I'm breaking any any news with that one. So if Damian Pierce is going to be the but clear lead. So. Yeah, if he's going to be the clear lead three down back and Singletary is just kind of going to be sprinkled in here. Um, yeah, I'm back in on Damian Pierce as a guy who typically has a big gaping hole at RB2 by come, you know, fourth round. Um, he's a guy I'll absolutely be considering there among a couple of other names. And then Khalil Herbert resting with the starters. And it looks like Roshan Johnson is potentially going to be the change of pace back here after kind of ascending and getting some first team reps in practice. Uh, Pat, what do you feel that this means for this backfield overall? I, I will say too, is that, I mean, Foreman was out there with the firsts over Johnson, but Johnson was in there on passing down plays. He's gotten more first down work than Foreman in practice. I, I think basically, I mean, it, it means that Khalil Herbert is the is the top guy in this. Like, we thought this was going to be a really muddy backfield, and I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. Obviously, you know, Johnson will get some third down work, and Foreman will get some work. If he doesn't get cut, like, I think at this point, he, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to see him get cut. I mean, I guess, will we know all the cuts next week? I don't think we will. Um, I don't know when the cut date is. I probably should because uh, that's yeah, I mean, got to be because it's just one close. day this year, which is insane. That's right. I, oh my god, I forgot they made it. So it's just you cut. What, oh boy, Brandon. Days? 
4 p.m. next Tuesday. So we're going to have a hell of a lot to talk about next week. Folks, tune in next Tuesday. That's all I can tell you. Oh, shit. Uh, Am I going to be working? I'm going to probably have to work that now, don't I? (laughs) You're going to have to be updating the... uh, Oh, dude, that's what I did in the last cut. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm working. Yep, awesome. All right, cool. Okay. Um, We'll we'll, we'll let you guys know when next week's show is. Pat's... Oh, it'll be 7.30. You do... You want to tell the people what you do exactly? So I'll just dox myself. Yeah, I work for ESPN Stats and Analysis. I um, and like basically a lot of stuff that I do is like roster and schedule work. So like for the last like three years, I've worked uh, roster the final roster cutdown day, and it was insane. It was an insane day. But now that they're only having one cutdown, it is going to be literal mayhem. Yeah. And um. I mean, I'm still here for it, but uh, yeah, but yeah, that's that's what Good I do. Doxing that. myself, all hail Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I don't care if anyone hears this from there. Come, come get me. Look, but um, there's nothing nothing illegal about doing a little podcast in your free time. Yeah, 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 people yeah, find nothing, that interesting. So yeah, nothing illegal about kissing the fellows, but you know, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's what I do. So yeah, so that's so that's why now I'm dreading that. So I'm gonna work my dick and nuts off, and then I'm gonna come here and talk with you guys, which will make my day significantly better. But yeah, we're gonna have a lot to talk about the cutdown day. But back to Deontay Foreman, um, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think he's like the most obvious kind of surprise cut. I'd think that would be more like Damian Harris or Rashad Penny or kind of these more like high-profile names that might get cut. But I wouldn't put it past it if if Foreman did get let go. But um, but yeah, I, I just think mostly that this is Khalil Herbert's backfield, and I was kind of in on him as the guy beforehand and I draft like I said I drafted him in a dynasty startup and I'm very very happy about that and that uh, you know that's looking better and better by the day Khalil Herbert's backfield until it becomes Jonathan Taylor's backfield no I'm kidding I agree with you I like Khalil Herbert at cost still as well and then look it's another case where I Pat I'm a believer in handcuffing running backs as long as you know who to do that with like you you don't just like Joe Mixon, I don't know that he really has a handcuff. I know I've talked about Chase Brown in this podcast, but Chris Evans is going to be a passing down guy. If you can handcuff a guy, though, I think it's worth it. And Roshan Johnson may be that guy. He's at least the ascending player in this backfield versus a guy like Foreman where you know what he is. Um, and Roshan's a guy that I wouldn't have minded taking a, a lottery ticket flyer on, whether I had Khalil Herbert or not. But if I take Herbert... would much rather you know, take absolutely. that on Johnson than Foreman easily. Yes, absolutely. So I think it's a pairing that makes sense. And you know, if you are a believer in Roshan Johnson's talent, which I know men are, um, then, you know, the Herbert Johnson combo is not bad because I don't really think there's a world where Deonta Foreman becomes like the unquestioned back in this backfield. Uh, if you want to be safe, just grab Herbert and Roshan and you should be good to go. All right, Pat, the moment we've all been waiting for the, my guys segment. These are the players that we believe so strongly in as the fantasy footballers would say, we are planting our flag. We are attaching our name to these guys because we believe so strongly in them. And I'm uh, so sorry names, to the following four people. <laughs> some, shit. Some names you guys may be very much expecting, and some may catch you by surprise. Pat, I feel like we'll we should just alternate uh, position. So Absolutely. I'll get my quarterback. You give your quarterback. Um, I'm going to start with a quarterback that we talked a good amount about last week, and I'll be bringing up some of those stats again. Uh, but Pat, I toyed with a few candidates here. My quarterback, my guy, or Brand's boy, is Anthony Richardson. Um, the more I thought about it, you know, despite all the risks that may be there, 
I just think so much lines up for Anthony Richardson to have an effective and successful rookie season with any bumps that may come, but I think there may be less bumps than a lot of people expect. So let's take it, you know, line by line here with Anthony Richardson. Rushing quarterbacks are still the biggest cheat code in fantasy football. It is to the point where I believe something will change in fantasy default settings in the next five years to rushing quarterbacks. I believe that they may make it where it's the same as passing yardage where they only get a point for every 25 yards because it's at a point where rushing quarterbacks are can be bad and get you a ton of fantasy points like bad in real life and get you a ton of fantasy points and I think eventually that will correct people will be like this seems silly Uh, because look Anthony Richardson could have a bad overall year I don't think the Colts are going to win more than like four games this year but Anthony Richardson can still very well be a great fantasy asset the Indianapolis Colts have the projected PFF number 10 O-line, so decent enough O-line behind, uh, or sorry, excuse me, in front of Anthony Richardson, led by Quentin Nelson, who did take a bit of a step back last year, but you know, still we still believe in the talent. Uh, then you've got the Shane Steichen factor. We talked about last week, Shane Steichen has fully committed to Anthony Richardson, saying he will not be pulled due to poor play. This is not a situation where, God, Gardner Minshew, of all people, is going to be breathing down his neck if he throws a couple of bad picks in the first half. Um, Anthony Richardson is going to have the full game to rack up any points that he may get, and rather than just stick you with, you know, uh, two points in the first half and then he gets pulled. Now, he's going to have the full game to work things out. Steichen, more importantly, I believe, has been a quarterback whisperer. He has he was the OC and play caller for Justin Herbert's Rookie of the Year season in 2020, where he was the QB2 in both total points and points per game. And he was Jalen Hurts' OC and play caller in 2021 and 2022, when he was the QB6 and QB3 in points per game. So you have the worst quarterback season that he has called plays for in the last several years has been Jalen Hurts in 2021 as the QB6. Again, we brought up this uh, as as comps, you know, rookies, uh, rookie running quarterbacks over the last few years. Jalen Hurts is a rookie in 2020. His QB finishes were QB 13, QB 1, and QB 12 in the three games that he started and finished after taking over for Carson Wentz. So worst finish there was QB 13, and then there's QB 1 upside. Lamar Jackson as a rookie in 2018 after taking over for Joe Flacco averaged 18.6% points per game QB 13 in points per game so look I think we're looking at a reasonable floor as long as Anthony Richardson starts the whole year like QB 13 is the bottom barrel result right and if you're drafting a quarterback that late you're drafting him as probably you know if you want to be safe you're drafting him as probably QB 10 or QB 11 it's not like the floor is very far below that um and then Richardson this is not a player that I'm worried about making so many dumb mistakes that it's going to kill you. He's been described as a very smart player, which means he could develop pretty quick. Like he's going to probably understand this playbook and, and, you know, develop into a effective NFL quarterback with decent decision-making sooner than later, I believe. Um, And he's not a guy who like in college just relied on being stronger and faster than everyone. But the good thing is he is stronger and faster than everyone. Uh, he is 6'4", 244, and ran a 4'4", 340-yard dash. So for a comparison, again, we'll go back to Lamar and Jalen Hurts. Lamar, 6'2", 214, so shorter and lighter, uh, but did run a 4'3", That was at his pro day, though, and you expect him to be a little bit a little bit faster um, given the size. But then Jalen Hurts, 6'1", 223, with a 4'5", So Anthony Richardson is taller, bulkier, and faster than a guy like Jalen Hurts, who has been the best rushing quarterback over the last two seasons. I just think all of the formula, all all of the ingredients are there, that even with the risk of, he's a rookie, um, I, I, I just have no reason to believe that he won't be successful this year. So I am going with Anthony Richardson as my my guy, and I firmly believe 
if you miss out on the top, let's call him eight quarterbacks, you know, stopping at Trevor Lawrence, um, this is a guy that will not let you down, I don't believe. And he has top five quarterback upside. Yeah, and I think, again, comparing him to someone last year, I think the easiest comp is Justin Fields in the sense that Fields was pretty bad last year in terms of throwing the ball. Throwing the ball. There was a lot there was a lot to be desired as a pass thrower. But the dude just did so much with his legs. And that was while being held back for a good portion of the season. They're not right. going to hold Anthony Richardson back, let alone in terms of like the, the, the possibility of him being pulled. But also just like you said, the fact about Shane Steichen, like he has all of the you know, he has everything he needs to succeed right now. Again, I don't know if it a- actually happens. I you know, like you said, they're going to lose a lot. You know, he could be really bad. He's going to have some really bad games. And the thing, though, is you just can't have that. You, you can't have your quarterback going for five points in a week. But then he's going to have weeks where you win your, he wins your matchup single-handedly. And, but, again, I'm still not going to. If I miss out on the top eight quarterbacks, I'm going with Pat's pal, Tua Tagovailoa, who I've talked about multiple times here. Not only do I think is he the guy to go to, outside of that top eight, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in the top eight or even higher. He, you know, and there, it's always the whole meme where it's, you know, his brains are made of scrambled eggs and everything and this. And yeah, and that's a huge concern, but, and you, you could take risk into it with everything, but it's like, you can't go into a season saying this guy is going to get hurt again. And if he does not get hurt last year, and he, first of all, he was QB 15 last year in 13 games. He missed four games and was still almost a QB one. And even from a non-fantasy perspective, he led the NFL in passer rating, yards per attempt, and touchdown percentage. And he had a 3-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio. The guy was absolutely balling out. And he's got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, who I think is the most dynamic wide receiver duo in the league. You know, by, by, by a decent margin, even. like, And you look like, oh, well, he doesn't have anyone besides them. Who cares? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, You don't need anybody else. You don't need anybody else um, with those two. And in, in Mike McDaniel's offense, you know, we've seen it with Jimmy Garoppolo and other things in San Francisco. You don't need to be a stud to succeed football-wise and fantasy-wise, but Tua goes beyond that. You know, we're forgetting how good this guy was in college, and then he showed that last year that he could still perform at that level. Again, the only real knock I have on him is the health. Is the health, but at this point, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm scared he's going to get his head knocked off his off his shoulders, so I'm not going to pick him. No, I'm going to go into it assuming this guy's going to play all 17 games. And Fantasy Pro's consensus ADP is QB 11. Like, I think that's wild. I think that's wildly low for, for Tua, who you know would have easily, easily, easily been higher than that last year had he played out the year. So... I, w- I love this Dolphins offense. Give me as many pieces of, well, three. Of the three, give me all three of the pieces of the Dolphins <laughs> offense. But I want them, and I think it's going to lead to just an absolute rocket launch for Tua. Fair enough. Tua's a guy that I have not been in on whatsoever. But, I mean, I look at his numbers, and I, I definitely see the argument. The concern to me is that, you know, later in the season, and you could argue that this was part of, you know, coming back from the injury, uh, to close out the season, he was, I, I guess, uh, mid is probably the way to call it, mid to below average. So the point total from week 12 at, uh, versus Houston through week 16 against Green Bay. We had 15, 13, 11.8, 17.7, and 10. So 
I mean, really only the 17.7 is going to be one where you're decently happy with, and even that's on the lower end of the point totals. But you do have this middle season stretch where he had 28.9, 24, and 23, and I think that's kind of what you're hoping continues. And you could also argue in that stretch, he may not have been right. You know, this was post that first concussion, correct? Yeah, like there's a chance that he may not have even been right. I mean, he had a, like... That was one of the more severe ones that I can even remember, and they kept him in the game. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, you could, you know, maybe you could say that he wasn't right, but we'll see. But if he is truly at full health, I think we're going to see more of the guy that's dropping 20 plus points every week rather than someone who's kind of going to be like, eh. but also you're at the point where, like, you're taking a guy later. You know, you could get him at QB 9, 10, 11. You can take someone else if you'd like. If you're really that scared of the health, you know, take mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins, take Jared Goff, take Geno Smith, do that. But I don't think you're going to need to. Like, if I if I'm drafting Tua, I'm good with it. I, I'm not going to necessarily waste a pick on another quarterback. Yeah, I mean, look, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You could have a jugs machine that's throwing to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, and it would probably put up a decent amount of fantasy points. So, two is a guy that I don't know how much I believe in the talent, but I believe in him being good enough and throwing to incredible incredible weapons that uh, I could see him as a starter. Not a guy I'll be targeting, but uh, I look, hope maybe I'll eat my words when I face you in fantasy this year because I think you're probably just going to end up with Tua in our league, to be honest. That that would be my my prediction. If you like him this much, I can't imagine there's too many people in our league that like him uh, more than you do. So, Well, again, if, 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 if it gets past that top echelon or even the top two echelons, then yeah, I probably will. But I, you know, I'm not, I may take one of the top dogs. You don't know. Who knows? No one knows. God knows. <clears throat> but, you know, Tua's That's kind true. of a later guy but now i'm going to um a first round pick here for my pal at running back and i mentioned him i think one of the first podcasts i did one of the questions was most underrated running back in the league and i said tony pollard i have been a huge advocate of tony pollard all offseason i still am you you look at what he did with ezekiel elliott last year he had over a thousand yards rushing and nine touchdowns and that was with zeke zeke averaged 16.4 touches a game last yeah. year and Crazy. stunk it up doesn't feel like that and that's the thing that i don't think people realize just because he was that bad and pollard was that good you think oh pollard yeah. was dominating the touches it was a really even split and all of those touches are up for grabs and another kind of takeaway from the postseason uh, postseason excuse me preseason deuce vaughn has not been a factor deuce vaughn's coming in after uh, malik davis and rico dowdle mm. and then you still got the ghost of ronald jones there I don't see any of those guys. I mean, it's not like Pollard's going to get every single touch every game, of course, but no one is going to cut into his playing work significantly. Like, if you say there are 16 touches up for grabs, I think it's fair to say that Pollard's going to get 9 or 10 of those. He could very easily get 9 or 10 of those a game just from the lack of competition. If they had gone out and brought Zeke back or brought in Kareem Hunt or Leonard Fournette or whoever, then I'd be like, yeah, I'd be a little more concerned. But there's just nobody there. And this is a guy who can catch the ball well, um... Out of all like qualified, you know, running backs, he he was second in the league in um in yard was it yards per reception. Uh, only Derrick Henry had more because Derrick Henry doesn't catch the ball, but when he does, he runs for like seventy yards each time. <laughs> but P- Pollard, but he he could realistically be the every down back there. And again, he, this guy is a slam dunk our top top twelve running back. And especially in non-PPR leagues, I believe he's still, ESPN has not projecting as a second rounder, which is insane to me, especially non-PPR. But non-PPR or PPR, I think Justin, uh, Justin, God, I'm a mess. Uh, Tony Pollard <laughs> is 
is a, is a great pick in your first round, especially non-PPR, if you are a fucking dinosaur like us and still do it. But all aboard, and I'll spoil it right now. If I had to pick my number one pal, it is Tony Pollard. I am all in on Tony Pollard. This dinosaur right here, uh, if our draft falls a certain way, is planning to take Tony Pollard in the first round. So I'm taking a running back, and it's just he's kind of one of the guys that I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, you know, Hard to gauge what everybody in front of me is going to do from the seven spot, but if it falls a certain way, Tony Pollard very well may be my first round pick, and I'll feel okay about it. Yeah, you mentioned those touches per game for Zeke, just to put a total on it and make it a bigger number and maybe make people realize. Zeke, Zeke is freeing up. 231 carries just just carries 231 so tony pollard for for a guy that was already so good last year missing out on all of those 231 carries like if he gets half of those or more than half of those which is more than reasonable yeah i mean tony pollard to the moon i agree with you the the question i guess is just uh durability because it's going to be his first time handling a workload like that um, but I, I don't think there's any other concerns, really. The O-line is good. He's probably going to get the goal line stuff. I mean, that's the thing, too. Zeke was, Dowdle, like, that's what Zeke was taking. Zeke was the goal line guy. That's what Zeke was taking. Zeke was the goal and line also guy. This, um, I, also, this Mike McCarthy malarkey of saying, we're going to run, 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 run. <laughs> I don't truly believe that. But, like, if they're going to run the ball more, geez, great, great. I think, I think right. everything is aligning right now for Tony Pollard. Yeah, and, and I do think Deuce Vaughn will play a role, um, you know, on these passing downs. I mean, We've seen some of these clips where he's just he's been one of the more electric players in the few times he has been on the field in this preseason. Um, whether that results in regular season volume, we will have to wait and see. I know people want to get carried away because he's fun and tiny and pocket sized, but we will have to wait on that one. Um, the brand's boy for the running back position is Ramondre Stevenson. It's biased about again a little bit last week. Yeah, you know I do have a Ramondre jersey about you know arm's length from me, uh, but I'm not going to grab that right now. Look, Ramondre's a guy that I think people have just kind of jumped off the train a little bit too much because of the Zeke signing. Uh, So last year, Ramondre was PPR RB7, despite only having 210 carries, five rushing touchdowns, and three receiving touchdowns. So look, even with a guy like Zeke around, who is likely going to take more than the three touchdowns that Damian Harris accounted for last year, I think the difference there can be made up by just this offense being better. Like everybody expects this offense to be better. So I expect there to be more scoring opportunities to go around in general. Um, that meaning that Ramondre getting eight touchdowns while Zeke gets, you know, also eight or nine touchdowns. I mean, what, 17 touchdowns from backfield is pretty normal. Jamal Williams had 17 on his own last year. So I think this team is going to really kind of lean on that run game, even though the pass game will be better. They've been running RPOs at a much higher rate as well, which should open up the run game just a bit. Um, it's just not a guy who needs to worry that much about the volume that Zeke is going to take. I think you take a guy like Ramondre Stevenson and it's just a bet on the talent. Like the guy that he is now going around in, we'll look at ESPN leagues, um, you know, Kenneth Walker is a talented back, but then you start to get into that that territory of guys who are just not as talented. Like Miles Sanders, I think Ramondre Stevenson is a much more talented back than Miles Sanders. Um, by a lot. Uh, right, by a lot. And I think, you know, Ramondre versus like Damian Pierce does become a question, but I think Ramondre might be a little more well-rounded overall than Damian Pierce's. It's just a guy that if you are going into the fourth round and taking a running back who you know for a fact is just an above-average talent at the at the position and is still going to be the lead back on his team, and now you can get him at a point where he's going to be your RB2, I feel really good about that. Um, on Fantasy Pros, he is the number 30 overall pick, so not at 
as you know aggressive or excuse me that's in standard maybe ppr is even higher so not as aggressive of a of a correction there just yet but if he keeps falling because people are terrified of zeke I just say smash that draft button on Ramondre Stevenson because he is just, he's a damn good player on an offense that's going to be much improved this year. He's going to, I don't see a reason why he can't, you know, this is kind of the Pollard argument again. I don't see a reason why he shouldn't at least reach what he did last year, maybe minus a few receptions that made him comfortably a top 10 back. He was RB7. Even if he finishes as RB10, you are thrilled with that in the fourth round. Oh, oh yeah. And he, like those guys who said, I think he's got way more upside. And I mean, have we seen Zeke? Like, I know the he term is feed Zeke, That's but been like, reports. he's he's large. Like that is a large Not man, large. fat boy. Yeah, he's a big boy. Like, are we that scared of him? <laughs> like, here's the thing: I, is yeah, unfortunately, he's gonna hit Ramondre right. where it hurts because he's gonna right. steal touchdowns. Uh, that's where it's gonna hurt Ramondre the most, but. We're looking at it, if Zeke is completely washed, we're looking at a situation where Ramondre is still the overwhelmingly lead back, and I think that's going to be the case anyway. In the fourth round, yeah, I think he's by far going to have the highest ceiling of anybody, any running backs you're taking in that range. Yeah, I mean, look, again, you strip away a few of the targets because I do think that part of his game went overboard last year just because of the offensive struggles. It was just when in doubt, throw it to Ramondre and hope he makes something happen. Um, But it's going to be a case where maybe lack of target volume is replaced by quality of targets that he's going to get. I just Mm -hmm. think Bill O'Brien is going to solve a lot of things for this offense. And even if Zeke comes in and takes a bunch of touchdowns, Ramondre Stevenson, I mean, he is RB... What is he on Fantasy Pros? He is RB still 10. So, I mean, look, that's I would take him there, but he's falling yeah. further than that on other platforms, I know for a fact. Um, I, I just think he's going to be a guy who's going to be at least top 12 this year, and I'm confident in that. So don't be afraid of Ramondre. Um, I will move to my receiver here, Pat, and it is George Pickens. George Pickens is my guy. We've brought him up a couple times. So, look. There's been the propaganda on George Pickens. I mean, Ryan Clark came out and said that he's more talented than Justin Jefferson, which uh Cap. Look, as much as I'm gonna as much as I'm gonna get on the, the Pickens train here, I am not going to say that much. Uh, but I do think he is a crazy talented guy who could be sort of the biggest breakout receiver of this year. I think he sort of fell by the wayside, you know, behind guys like I think there's a little more hype for guys like Jahan Dotson and then obviously the guys who are way above him like Garrett Wilson who are like confirmed we're banking on it breakouts with the Steelers just kind of being meh, a little boring on offense last year because of Kenny Pickett not being great. Uh, I think Pickens maybe is a, is a bit of an afterthought compared to the other guys, but he should not be. I think Pickett's going to take that leap this year. And this was an interesting note from NFL Live. So Kenny Pickett to George Pickens last year yielded the highest QBR for any quarterback pass catcher combination with a minimum of 50 targets. So the the caveat here is they did have a lot less targets than the guys who are, you know, behind them on this list. And the more targets that you get um, or that get thrown as receivers way, it's probably going to bring this number down just due to, you know, statistics in general. And uh, if this QBR is that high, it could be a matter of Pickett only being very selective and making sure it was going to be a completion whenever he threw to Kenny through to George Pickens. God, this Pickett Pickens thing is going to be a bitch. Um, but the guys behind Make them, for a great were, T-shirt. It's true. The guys behind them in that statistic. So highest QBR again for any quarterback pass catcher combination. Second was Tua and Jalen Waddle with 88 targets and a 96 QBR. Geno Smith and Tyler Lockett, 116 targets with a 94 QBR. And Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb, 104 targets, 93 QBR. Pickett and Pickens were 58 targets, 98 
QBR. So, you know, you look at those other combinations. I mean, those are lock it again. I'm a little bit off, but last year, those were lock it in like stud receivers. And I think George Pickens can enter that conversation. The narrative for him coming out of camp and these preseason games has been that he's expanded his route tree. And that's been the biggest question mark of his game. He doesn't get separation. He just kind of is a go up and get the ball guy, which he does better than 99% of the guys in the NFL. Um, If this... He's an absolute freak. If this route expansion thing is route tree expansion narrative is true, George Pickens can be a wide receiver one this year. Even if it's not true, George Pickens can be a Mike Williams type because I think Kenny Pickett is going to ascend to a point where he can support receivers over the course of a full season. It's not going to be seven passing touchdowns over the course of whatever games he he start like. I don't remember how many games he started last. He averaged Hello, barely, a, Jones. barely a touchdown per game. Oh, God. He averaged barely a touchdown per game last year. I think that's going to change drastically. Everything coming out of Steelers camp is that Kenny Pickett looks good. So I think just the stars are aligning for Pickens. Um, the, the one thing I'm hesitant about is if the route tree thing is true. I don't know. We haven't really seen it in action. Um, one other one guy on Twitter that I follow did note that, you know, as much as that has been the narrative, he did run mostly go routes in his preseason snaps. So nothing changed there. But maybe they don't want to give away the secrets. I'm betting on the talent again here, and it's a guy that, you know, I don't want to chase crazy upside with a low floor um, in the early rounds. But George Pickens is a guy that if I could get him, and based on his ADP, you can in late sixth, early seventh, even eighth round if people don't sure. want him. Um, you know, that's this is a guy that he's so good, man. He's just such a talented guy. And if he can round out his game, uh, he can definitely ascend to that next level. And if you draft him, you can name your team Slim Pickens. You know, for those of you out there, that's a good point. Yeah, see, yeah, we 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 could get. Oh, that's what we should do. We should we should do some names one of these weeks. We've only got a, we've only got one more. We've only got oh, two more the podcasts before the season starts. Holy god. shit! God. Oh my god! <clears throat> I'm gonna go with though. I'm gonna go with a second year wide receiver as well. Probably a little more boring than uh than George Pickens, and I've brought him up. My god, like I think I bring him up every podcast at this point. So stop me if you've right. heard me, Chris Olave. <clears throat> um. He did not get the fanfare that Garrett Wilson got last year, and rightfully so. Garrett Wilson was an absolute stud. He is just a better football player. But Olave was like an advanced metrics darling last year. Like He was like eighth in total air yards. He was 10th in yards per route run, and this was all with a 26.7% target share. And this was all with fucking Andy Dalton, who is awful. Like <laughs> Red Rocket. He he is just awful at this point in his um at this point in his career. And you're getting Derek Carr granted again. I may be a little biased, but Derek Carr's nothing special. But he is. You cannot look me in the eye and tell me that that is not an upgrade over Andy Dalton. And the biggest thing is that he's going to throw the ball deep. And Chris Olave could be the guy that benefits the most from that. And I think we're going to see a step up in all this. And the the biggest thing. And again, I, I, I'm just going to say I'm not a huge, I'm not very concerned about Michael Thomas. Just because of all the injuries, you know, I, I said like, oh, you can't bank on Tua getting injured. And you can't bank on Michael Thomas getting injured either. But it's not to say that he won't be on the field. It's those, has these injuries slowed him down? It's been a long time. It was pre-COVID. I think that's the best way to kind of, you know, you know make an era of things. It was pre-COVID since the last time that we really saw him be the dominant guy that he is. Sure, he's going to cut some into it, but there's no wide. There's so few wide receivers who are the only guy that's going to be getting something. But yeah. I don't see Thomas getting in Olave's way of being the wide receiver one in that offense. And it's an offense that 
might be decent, actually. You know, they've got a they've got some good pieces here. But but yeah, and again, Olave is a guy that you, is not going to be as expensive as um, is a guy like Garrett Wilson. I think he's a high end wide receiver too, which is it's still pretty rich. Don't get me wrong, like, but I think that's I think it's worthy of that, and I would not be surprised at all if we're looking at the end of the year that Chris Olave is a top twelve wide receiver at the end of the year. And and another thing too about him, he didn't catch touchdowns, he didn't get red zone targets, and like you could say like, oh, Jawan Johnson's just going to be more in this, Michael Thomas this more in that, and it goes. And sure, like, yes, they're there again, but I, I think positive touchdown regression is absolutely in order here for Chris Olave. Yeah, I mean, I think the offense as a whole is going to be better, like you said. I mean, I, looking at their first preseason game against the Chiefs, their starters only played for, I want to say, one, maybe two drives, but they were, it was very smooth. I tweeted about it that, you know, up until this Ravens uh, Commanders debacle, uh, that was the most that it felt like real football thus far because it was just. It was the starters for the Saints. They looked really good, and it was a smooth, smooth drive. Um, I think this offense is going to take a big step forward with Derek Carr, and Chris Olave is going to be at the forefront of that. I am, as you know, a bit of a Michael Thomas proponent, but that's not because I think he's going to be the team's wide receiver one or even remotely get the same value of of targets and amount of targets that Chris Olave is. This is Chris Olave's receiver room, no question about it. Um, it's just, you know... Can he get those touchdowns up? I think so. And uh, yeah, Chris Olave is one of my favorite, you know, receiver targets this year. It's just in our league, Pat, uh, he's not a guy that I've been able to get because I, I don't get him in the third round and there's just slightly better options available to me in the second. But Chris Olave, a guy whose talent yeah. I absolutely believe in. And to round out my team, how could it be Pat's pals without Pat himself, Pat Fryermuth? Another, he's yes, one naturally. of the names that I've. Whenever we talk tight ends, I always say there's a couple guys towards the end of the tight end one spectrum that I think are great values, and it, and it's the Muth. Like he he is that guy. <clears throat> I, I honestly think he's got one of the more solid floors in fantasy football, especially in PPR. Non PPR gets a little tough because he doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. He I think he only had two or three touchdowns last year, so that that becomes a problem in non PPR scoring, but. He, him, and Kenny. He, Kenny Pickett loved that guy, and mm-hmm. he, you know, I, I believe he was the second most targeted guy behind Deontay Johnson last year when Pickett was under center. But you look at it, even though Pickett's gonna, even though Pickett's gonna get better, that's still the security blanket kind of guy. You know, you've got George Pickens, who's this freak athlete, gonna make these big plays. If a play breaks down or something, Fryermuth's gonna be there, and he's gonna be a target monster, and he's gonna be a catch monster. And again, you're banking on some positive touchdown regression, but I don't think. That's too far of a stretch to do. <clears throat> and uh, the other thing, um, another preseason note, was that this past week, he ran a route on 100% of the Steelers' passing plays. The guy does not block. Even last year, he he ran routes on over 80% of Steelers' passing plays. Like He does not block. He is a pass-catching tight end. And you're looking at a situation where he is the number three. You know, they always need to say you need to be a top two thing to be an elite tight end. I'm not sitting here saying Pat Fryermuth's going to be an elite tight end, but he's going uh, on Fantasy Pros, I believe, tight end tight end nine, and he's going in round eight. Like That's a fantastic value. If you miss on Travis Kelsey, if you miss on Mark Andrews, if you don't want to pay up for that kind of value for guys like TJ Hawkins and George Kittle, God forbid Kyle Pitts, Fryermuth is the perfect pick. You can load up in the first six, seven rounds and then get a super dependable tight end really late. And again, we're banking on Pittsburgh being better this year. So so much of that, oh, we got in the chat here. Imagine if the Steelers had a real OC. Yeah, Matt Canada, not good. But I yeah. think we see steps forward, and I think 
I could easily see George Pickens reaping the benefits. I think we're going to see Deontay Johnson find the end zone a couple fucking times. And I think we're going to see another really solid year for Pat Fryermuth, who is going on year three, and he's just been really solid his whole career. Fryermuth is a guy that I, I do really like the talent, and again, he's going to be a beneficiary of the picket step forward that I believe is going to happen. I am just a little bit worried about the upside when you do have guys like Deontay and Pickens there taking so many of the targets. Um, I, I would aim a little higher um, upside-wise with the tight ends because we know what a desolate fucking wasteland tight end becomes other than the top few guys so i would aim a little higher with the ceiling but i do totally understand the floor that is in theory there with pat fryermuth just got to hope that darnell washington doesn't dip into the touchdowns there because it seems like that's that's been the report out of him from camp is that the the georgia product who uh, slipped in the draft quite a bit due to injury concerns the one thing he's been doing is catching a shit ton of touchdowns so we need if there's going to be you know more touchdowns in the Steelers offense we need them to go to Pat Fryermuth if uh, he's going to return that value but I can see it look I'm 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 excited for the Steelers as a whole so I'm excited that you got a Steeler on your list and I agree with you um I'm not going to have a ton to say about the brand's boy at tight end because I talked about him already but it is Darren Waller and the reason I have it as Darren Waller is because what we've seen in the preseason all these reports you know he has a chance to be tight end two or even tight end one with how much he's going to be targeted like that is within his range of outcomes um, where I don't necessarily think that's within the range of outcomes of like Dallas Goddard like Dallas Goddard's not going to be tight end one unless AJ Brown and Devonta Smith both fuck off to never never land like Darren Waller is the number one target on this team he is going to command targets in every situation I mean he's going to be the go-to guy in that pass game You need a first down in a clutch situation. Like, it's going to be Darren Waller. You absolutely need to score, and you're calling a pass play. Like, you're going to, you're looking at at least Darren Waller first. So, they haven't had an alpha receiver like that that they've been able to, you know, operate with since Daniel Jones has been a giant. So, I think Darren Waller. There's a reason Daniel Jones has been targeting him so much. He may throw him the ball 7,000 fucking times this year. Like, he's going to be the guy. Um, I, I just think if you are getting him right now, he's going in like the the sixth round uh fifth round some somewhere around there look i would not blame you if you spent a fourth on him just to make sure that you get him because i i don't think that that's a a bad spot to take him if mark if mark andrews is going in you know the third or early fourth round i see no reason that darren waller shouldn't go shortly after him um you can play that game of chicken as much as you want to in your draft because of where his adp is that's totally up to you but the value that i think he could return is that of a second round pick. So, you know, if you want to spend a fourth just to ensure that you get him, I think that is fair. Darren Waller is, you know, quite possibly headed for a career year as just the only guy that the Giants throw the ball to at all. So that'll conclude it for our My Guys segment here. Mine to sum it up were Anthony Richardson, Ramondre Stevenson, George Pickens, and Darren Waller. Pat's pals are Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Tony Pollard, Chris Olave, and Pat Fryermuth. Draft all eight of these guys and you will be playing fantasy football. I'm not going to say you'll go undefeated or anything. I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, if you get all eight of these I don't guys, want to steer yeah, you, guys you might. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is, is that even possible? Like, what could you do here? I don't think we have, I guess we have Tony in the first, Olave in the second, Ramondre in the third. Yeah, you could third. draft this team. Ramondre in the third, Waller in the fourth. I mean, yeah, you could totally draft this team. So look, Pat, maybe we'll have to do that. Just make like an ESPN public league and just draft this team and just kind of let it rock and see what happens just the the brands boys and pats pals we'll have to find a kicker in defense i guess but whatever we can figure that out um we will close out the show as we always do with our viewer questions and real quick we just got a letter we just got a letter 
We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. Suck my ass. Oh. <laughs> That's not how it goes. Uh, we're closing out with our viewer questions. Thank you for the mail, the questions, as always. So we've only got two this week, but I thought they were pretty good questions. This one coming from Zach on YouTube. He says, who's next up in Indy, and what do you think their value would be this season when slash if JT is traded? Pat, I heard Matthew Barry say that he's like, if JT gets traded, whoever the Colts running back is going to be is probably not on the roster right now. And I think 100% that's 100% agree. Um, whether it is a running back that they get back in a trade. I mean, I feel like we never see player for player trades in the NFL, even though I floated the Pacheco hypothetical earlier. We never actually see that. Uh, but if JT gets dumped off this roster, they probably do bring in a guy like Kareem Hunt, who we've already seen go on a visit to Indy and is still out on the market. Uh, maybe they bring in a guy like Leonard Fournette, and those guys will, would probably be the guy in Indy. I think there's reasonable value there. I mean, if they bring in a vet like that, um, you know, neither one of them has too much left in the tank, but the Colts as a whole, again, the O-line is good enough. I think Anthony Richardson as a running quarterback will hopefully open things up a little bit in the run game for whoever they bring in. Um, Flex guy. That's, I mean, maybe it's a cop-out answer, but whoever the Colts starting running back is, if it's not Jonathan Taylor and it's not an actual high value high talent guy that they bring in in return you know if it is Fournette Hunt or if they don't add anybody and it's Deion Jackson or Evan Hull um, I think you're looking at a flex guy it, it's a starting running back on a, on a team right like that's gonna yeah, have some you're always gonna consider that you're gonna have something I don't know that they go running back by committee maybe they would if they don't bring anybody in you just get Hull and Jackson and it is a fucking mess um, but I think flex is flex is the ceiling of the value you're looking at here yeah, I think a lot of their options are going to come from, um, you know, guys that might get cut. You know, we talked about Deontay Foreman. We talked about Rashad Penny. Talk about Damian Harris. Uh, guys, you know, I could easily see them kind of being in the market for guys like that. But you look at it, it's been a pretty even split between Evan Hole and Deion Jackson. And we've seen Deion Jackson perform pretty well in some opportunities in the last two seasons. But if JT does get traded and they don't go out there, it's just a mess. Like, I, just, I don't. At least until we see one of them emerge, I'm not going into the season thinking that either of them is going to be a reliable fantasy starter. But, you know, I could be wrong. But yeah, flex is fair because, like you said, it's a starting running back. It's a starting running back. And especially in the middle of, you know, at certain points in the year, if a guy's a starting, you know, you've got guys getting picked up on waivers who it's like, oh, well, if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens, then he'll be the RB1. So, like, if you have yeah, someone that's right. got a lot more of a direct path to playing time, you're going to at least consider it. But the upside there is not much. Yeah, it's not much. I mean, look, every single team in the NFL's starting running back, regardless of how murky the situation may be behind them, is at least a flex-worthy guy. Like, I, I guess let's look at who the worst starting running back would be in terms of fantasy value right now. Uh, I mean, is it? I, I guess it's probably Raheem Mostert because he's it's just such a clear split with him and Jeff Wilson. But even that, like, yeah, that's an that's a reasonable flex in the right matchup, right? He's so, going like, to be that's, drafted. That's I think. Yeah, I think that's what you're looking at here. Um, you know, if it's Evan Hull or Deion Jackson or whoever the fuck. If they bring in, if they trade JT and bring in Kareem Hunt and Leonard Fournette, I'd feel pretty decent about it as a flex. I mean, not thrilled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what you're looking at there. And then this question from Thomas on Instagram. Do you think Tyler Boyd has a solid upside in the middle rounds? Tyler Boyd has no upside. That's, that's why I identified this question. Tyler Boyd is the most boring pick you could possibly make in terms of a receiver. And it's just a guy that, like... Yes, is Tyler Boyd better than Nico Collins? Yeah. No. I would rather draft Nico Collins. I would rather draft Nico Collins. Maybe not, but I would I would rather draft Nico Collins 10 times out of 10. Like it's just such a 
a low ceiling play. It's like the only time you're going to be excited about starting him is if Chase or, or Higgins gets hurt. And even those splits are not what you'd think they are. Like, even man, when Chase up, got hurt last year, he wasn't good. Yeah. No, you look at what he's done without I, Chase, it's not much. I had a decent bit of Tyler Boyd last year, and when Chase got hurt, I'm like, oh, thank God, finally this is going to happen. It just didn't happen. The guy's yeah. just a very mid-wide receiver. I mean, obviously he's established. He's done some things in his career, but he is a clear third. And again, that's another offense similar to Miami. They don't really have a third, and they don't really need one. You know, you're looking at Boyd or maybe even Irv Smith, but I wouldn't be surprised if neither of those guys emerge. And it's just a whole lot of Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. And yeah, I, I especially in late in these fantasy drafts, you don't want to take a guy like Tyler Boyd. You want to take the yeah. Nico Collins. You want to take my boy Michael Wilson in Arizona. Like you, you want to take someone with upside. Tyler Boyd, yeah, is the like he just feels like if you draft him, he's the first guy you cut. When you pick someone yeah. up before the season even starts, I I can't get I, I can't get behind taking him really at any point. I, I'm not going to draft him at all. No, I mean, fantasy pros, he's wide receiver 55, and he is behind you know Darnell Mooney, Alan Lazard, Nico Collins, Kadarius Tony, and then he's above. So here are the guys that are behind Tyler Boyd. Odell Beckham Jr., Romeo Dobbs, Rondale Moore, Adam Thielen. I mean, look, some washed up names here for sure, but guys that I'd I would take much a rather have on, Romeo Dobbs. Sure, absolutely. Guys that I would much rather take a stab on, even looking further down the list, DJ Chark in Carolina, I think he's going to be mm-hmm. the number one. Yep. He has upside to be a, a startable flex every week. Um, Alec Pierce, I mean, Anthony him too. Yep. the one thing we know he can do is chuck the deep ball. Alec Pierce dropped one in maybe the most notorious clip of the preseason, but again, we don't put too much stock into that. Um, Jonathan Mingo, like just guys, we Tyler Boyd's been in the league for two long now for you to hope for any more than what you've seen so far like that's that's all it is. upside is the last word i would associate with tyler boyd so yeah, exactly. i would say no just there's a there, there's a point where you chase upside and a point where you don't the point where you chase upside is the point where tyler boyd is generally being exactly drafted. so no. exactly pick somebody else we are we are not on the tyler boyd train uh pat any final thoughts Great pod today. Great job. You look great. Yeah, we, yeah we, we, we've got our pals and, and boys and fellas and who, whoever else today. I sexualized <laughs> Kyle Pitts boys. instead of uh, – so I'm just, you, you know, did. going through the tight ends here. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, I'm not that sorry, right. honestly. So that that's my final thought is I'm not sorry. It's not the I also first doxed myself. So like, yeah, it's, been, it's been an episode. <laughs> Not the first tight end you've sexualized. We all remember the Chickaconquo incident of uh, you wanted to peg him a few a month or so ago, a month or two. <laughs> Don't raise your eyebrows at me. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Off the Bench, everybody. Thank you for watching. For Pat Gustafson, I'm Brandon Carney. We will see you guys next week for Cut Day. Cut Day!